BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. And welcome to Hancock and Kelly here on Fox 2 on your Sunday morning. Right over here on the right is John Hancock. Good morning. He's had a long week. And on the left is Michael Kelly. Good morning. He's had another interesting week. And I'm John Brown right here in the middle. All right, so, fellas, we have a lot to get through today, okay? We're talking situation in Syria, with Turkey, the G7 summit, the Democratic debate. We're going to begin with the story of the impeachment inquiry. Yes, a lot happened this past week, including what appears to be an admission of that old quid pro quo regarding military aid for the Ukraine. White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney had to clarify his statements later on, but what he said certainly was ammunition for Democrats. Trump loyalists also say the White House very displeased with what Mulvaney said in that press conference. One White House insider I spoke with said, this is why there are so few press conferences because there's so much contradictory information and too much room for error. John, you're up first on this one. He said some things that old prid quo like you guys said on the radio, who can impossible say impossible to why, say. Why is this word even in our lexicon? Right, we shouldn't Brown. even have it. It's something, something for something. Something for something. So <laughs> here's the thing: every every negotiation, whether you're in business or politics, foreign policy, everything is something for something. I mean, that's the whole nature of negotiating, right? What makes this different is that the something on the other end is looking into your political opponent and investigating them for your own personal gain. Now, Mulvaney didn't raise the Biden thing when he discussed the withholding of the military support. He talked about that DNC server being over there, which, you know, that's been debunked, but whatever. Uh, should, it, should the president have done that with the president of Ukraine? He should not. Is it impeachable? If that's all there is here, because we did give the aid. We withheld it for, what, two weeks? Two weeks. We did give the aid. The aid was important. It was more aid than we'd given them in the past. I don't think that's an impeachable offense. I just don't. You gave the aid. They gave the aid after they realized that they were violating the law. It was something for something, and it was something for Donald Trump's personal gain. What's interesting to me about Mulvaney's comments is, is that he goes out there, he says this. The reporter says back to him, he says, you realize that's a quote, quid pro quo? He says, yeah, it is. Get, all, get over it. I mean, the man just co-signed the confession with Donald Trump. And, you know, I'm getting tired of hearing constantly, oh, well, is it that bad of a deal? Is it blah, blah, blah? It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. Well, if you're going to impeach everybody that does something wrong, Kelly, you're not going to have any office holders. And uh, now, if there's more here, I'm willing to listen and see what the evidence shows. If, there was a, if there's a financial interest in play here, potentially, then, yeah, that's going to pique my interest. But in and of itself, Based on the facts we have now, the president shouldn't have done it, but it's not impeachable. All right, since we're talking about impeachment and the inquiry right now, a lot of Republicans came out pretty strongly asking for a vote soon on impeachment. That includes Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Democrats say that things like this take a lot of time, but Republicans say if you truly have the goods on the president, take a vote, have a trial, and get it over with. Uh, one of the things that Mitch McConnell said here is that he'd like to have this done by Christmas so they can have the Senate trial and, and it's over. If you're the Democrats, though, 
you stretch this out. The Democrats would have liked Mitch McConnell to take a vote on Merrick Garland. See, the nice thing about being in charge of your own legislative body is you get to make your own decisions. And the Democrats are going through this process methodically. Why would we take a vote now? Every time the president and his people talk, they continue to incriminate themselves. I say, let's got to keep going. We don't have all the facts set out here. And the best advocates for our facts set are these people who are confessing that they're breaking the law. McConnell's point is, is that whatever, if, if you're going to impeach the president over a quid pro quo, over the investigation of Hunter Biden and the withholding of aid, if that's why you're going to impeach the president, you don't need any more hearings. I mean, they've admitted it. And, uh, and the president's admitted it. Now Mulvaney's admitted it. The witnesses in the committee apparently have admitted it, although those committee hearings are not public, which is wrong. Uh, so, yeah, if you've got the goods, go for it. I think that's what he's saying, and I think he's right. And the point he's making, ultimately, is that there's not enough here to merit impeachment of the president. It's just pure and simple. Now, politically, I was thinking about this this past week here. Politically, if you're the Democrats, you want to drag this on as long as possible because the longer you go, you get it into, you make it impossible for somebody else to step forward, whether it's Mike Pence or not, right? You don't want this to wrap up quickly because the president is paralyzed at this point. Well, listen, purely if, political. If you're standpoint. running for president right now, you really don't need this going on in the backdrop because what, what we ultimately need is the rule of law to rule the day. And that's what, you know, Nancy Pelosi, say what you want about her. She has been a statesman in leading this process throughout the entire time. I think you'd even admit, John, she's handled herself quite well. She's going to make sure before we go forward and go forward with an, an impeachment, we have all of the facts on the table and ready to go so that we have a legitimate opportunity to sit and discuss the violation of the law that's taken place by this president and his administration. She has comported herself better than Adam Schiff has. Uh, and Adam Schiff has beclowned himself. And the way, the way they're keeping these hearings under wrap is completely unprecedented. And by the way, it's unprecedented historically to even have impeachment hearings without taking a vote on the front end to engage in an impeachment inquiry. They haven't done that either. Uh, so, you know, they're not, the, the process that's playing out here is not particularly a fair one. But I do think Pelosi has comported herself better than Adam Schiff has. You know, another big distraction this week, the president getting a lot of pushback about the situation in Syria, not only from, uh, uh, I mean, the letter that he wrote there. Yeah, that bizarre letter the president sent to uh, the president over there. So strange, apparently. The Turkish president said he just threw it in the trash. John, you know, one, this isn't the way to handle diplomacy like this. But then also you have Republicans who say, wait a second, these are, you know, we're abandoning a group of people who helped us fight ISIS yeah, here. I mean, this is without question the worst decision of the presidency of Donald Trump and abandoning the Kurds and leaving them behind. I'm not sold that the ceasefire uh, is going to amount to anything. I mean, essentially, we acquiesced to exactly what Turkey wanted, which is they said a 20 mile free zone to get the Kurds out of there. And that's the agreement. Get the Kurds out of there, give them five days and we won't shoot anybody else. Uh, and I think the Turks' real ultimate ambition here is much beyond that 20-mile zone. Uh, this, is, this is a foreign policy mistake of historic proportions, and I think a lot of other Republicans believe it. I, I'm not sure I have much more to add to that. That's the Republican well. having said that, though. This, this is the guy, this is the art of the deal, turning it over, getting outfoxed by Turkey, saying to the rest of our allies in the world, this is what we're going to do. If you stand with us, we'll cut and run. Disaster. Well, and understand, you know, it's, it's not just the Turks that are benefiting here. The Russians are benefiting. Mm -hmm. The Syrians, the Assad regime is benefiting. The Iranians who want to build a pipeline 
so that they can arm Hezbollah against Israel, they're benefiting. Uh, anytime you get yourself in a situation where all your enemies are benefiting and you're withdrawing, that's not a win. And finally in our top lock today, the president's decision to have the next G7 summit at his own country club in Miami got a lot of attention. Next year's gathering of world leaders is going to take place at President Trump's Doral Golf Resort outside of Miami. Uh, so, guys, <laughs> I heard you on the radio talking about this one, John. This is where you need somebody around you to say, okay, I know you have a beautiful club. I know it's close to the airport. I know it can be locked down securely, but come on. This, this just doesn't look good all the way around. Well, it's, it's, it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, you're being investigated for impeachment. They've been poking around about the emoluments clause for all three years that you've been in office. And to make this announcement in the middle of all of that is just, you know, whatever else it may be, it is terrible politics. And it makes you wonder, who's advising this man? Either, either he's not getting sage, sound, simple political advice, or he is and is choosing to ignore it. And Mikey comes out right before the election, just a couple months out. Right, and crazy people don't listen. That's one of the signs of uh, that you're out of your mind. So I, I'm, I would think that somebody's smart enough to know that this isn't a violation of the emoluments clause. Again, why are we not moving forward? This guy just keeps handing us more. On top of it all, guys, come on. Miami in June of the entire United States to take the seven most powerful people in the world. You're going to take them to a place that's 110 degrees with mosquitoes the size of a cocker spaniel? Well, it is the state bird of Florida. The this is nothing more than a, a federal bit. contract being administered by the president to himself. All right, still to come here on Hancock and Kelly, another Democratic debate with a new frontrunner this time. Yes, Elizabeth Warren was the main target. One thing that Democrats and Republicans seem to agree on, she's not talking enough about how to pay for those big proposals. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for Adcock and Kelly. Sometimes it seems like there's too many voices here, right? These guys are bickering. I'm trying to keep it on track. Well, imagine if there were 12 of these guys, right? Yes, that's what Democratic debate round four was this past week. It's now in the books. I don't know how much you guys watch this, but I watched some before the news, and you can't even keep this straight when you have 12 people and everybody gets 30 seconds. Make a great policy announcement in 12 seconds. Uh, it's impossible. It's impossible. I, I have to confess, I didn't watch it. I watched a bigger disaster, which was the Cardinals' final game four. Was yeah. that the same night? What a sad outcome wow. that was. Uh, having said that, Elizabeth Warren continues to surge. Um, and I think we're headed towards a three-person race, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders. And I'm very concerned about Joe Biden. Clearly, all the stuff is there. He has the information. He's having a hard time articulating it. You couple that with the fact that Elizabeth Warren, not my favorite candidate, is running the best campaign for president. Uh, she may wind up being the front runner here, and much like John felt uh, when Donald Trump was on the thing, not being their favorite nominee and she can't win, I'm not sure Elizabeth Warren can win, but I didn't think Donald Trump could win. You know, John, she keeps rising. That's what I think is surprising a lot of people who say, oh, we're not ready for a socialist or a leftist leader, but her numbers keep climbing here. Well, they do, and, they, they, you know, the Democratic base is that's where they are, uh, and just as the Republican base is, is populist in that. And there's a sense in which both parties' bases have moved into the populist arena, uh, and that's where Elizabeth Warren is. But think about running for president on the platform. Uh, the 80-some percent of the population that has and likes their health insurance, well, we're going to take that away. And guess what? We're going to raise your taxes, too. And, and that's essentially what this woman is running on. 
and crippling the economy, wiping out our investments. Uh, ask, the, ask your investment advisor what he thinks about Elizabeth Warren. The, uh, this, you know, I think is potentially a recipe for democratic disaster here. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people are talking about. We do have some sound here from the debate. One thing everybody except Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are talking about is how much this Medicare for all is going to cost. Mayor Pete says it's ridiculous to ask everyone to get rid of private insurance, and then Joe Biden jumped in. The question is, how, who's going to be able to get it done? How can you get it done? And I'm not suggesting they can't, but I'm suggesting that that's what we should look at. And part of that requires you not being vague. Tell people what it's going to cost, how you're going to do it, and why you're going to do it. That's the way to get it done. Presidents so, are supposed to be able to persuade. Just to clarify, Vice President, who are you saying is being vague? Well, the senator said she's being vague on the issue of Actually, both of them being vague on the issue of uh, uh, the uh, uh, Medicare for all. No, look, look, here's the deal. It's, it costs, come on, it costs $30 trillion. Guess what? That's over $3 trillion a year. If we, it's more than the entire federal budget. Let me finish, okay? You'll, you'll both get in. If you eliminated the entire Pentagon, every single thing, plane, ship, troop, the buildings, everything, satellites, it would get you, it would pay for a total of four months. Four months. Where do you get the rest? Where does it come from? All right. I think he said what a lot of people have been feeling. That's coming from somebody on the left here, John, that, all right, everybody likes the idea. How do you pay for it? And there's no way. These numbers don't work. Of course work. not. You can't pay for it. You, you know. And it's not going to work. That's the other problem. It's not going to work. The system we have now is far from perfect. Uh, but it works for most people. We ought to be figuring out what we can do to solve the problem for those people for whom the healthcare system doesn't work instead of blowing the whole thing up and bankrupting the country. Well, I think that's a better articulated position of what Joe Biden was trying to say as well. But I do have an offer there toward Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. This is simple. We're sitting here debating on how we're going to pay for it. Mexico's going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break here. Come right back. We'll talk a little bit about Mayor Pete and also uh, General Mad Dog Mattis had an interesting soundbite as well. We'll have that straight ahead here on Hancock and Kelly. Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. Okay, we're going to continue our discussion about the Democrats here. We're having a little issues with his, his microphone. He was yelling too much. Well, yeah. What happened? And when, the, when his vein up. pops out, it interferes That's with the uh, connection. Don't make to the me microphone. come over there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still referee. Okay, let's talk about Mayor Pete here very quickly. He seemed to have the best week of the entire group. It seems like he's growing into his role. Uh, Michael, you're up on, first on this one. Interesting that he's teeing off on everybody. Nobody's hitting back at him. Why is that? Well, he's running this outsider campaign, um, and I think he's doing it quite effectively. The problem is Mayor Pete's got some issues, right? He's got some issues in his hometown with the African-American community. He has been able to raise money, just not been able to get traction in this. But neither has Kamala Harris, neither has Cory Booker. Biden has no money now. And now Biden's running dollars. out of money. I mean, you know, Pete Buttigieg continues to have money, but he can't seem to get the attention. Well, and Michael hit the nail on the head there. He's got, he's got fundamental problems in the African-American community, Buttigieg. You're not going to win a Democratic primary like that. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so he's really off the table. The Biden money problem is a real problem. He's down to eight million bucks. They're burning money like crazy. He doesn't have the kind of passionate grassroots support that an Elizabeth Warren has from all the crazies out there. 
and uh, and it's going to make it harder for them to raise money. And at, at some point, that lack of money is going to translate into a lack of votes. I think Biden's on his way down in this thing. I really, I hate to, I mean, you know, I hate to be the purveyor of bad news for you over there, Kelly, but I think you're going to nominate He's a my candidate. Well, um, and that's what's interesting. Because he's the one I believe that can beat Donald Trump. I have a hard time seeing a pathway right now for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren beating Donald Trump. A lot of those never-Trumpers out there who voted for Donald Trump the last time, have an unfavorable opinion of him, are going to have a hard time going with the policies I think that are being exposed. I think that's right. And I think and that that's one thing that even Mayor Pete said during that debate was, I don't think everybody on this stage can beat Donald Trump. And I think that was directed right at those two on the far yeah. left. Uh, but even his policies are resonating with some Republicans. He had a lot of things to say about gun control and these other things that I think a lot of Republicans said, well, wait a second, that kind of fits with me too. But... This, this Democratic debate he's got, or Democratic side. Buttigieg is a savvy politician. I mean, where he's at should say that. And the fact that he's a mayor of a pretty small town that's the, being considered for president. The size of St. Charles. And he has the support of some really good institutional workers inside the Democratic Party, and I think they're keeping them alive. I just don't know that it gets them there. Maybe we ought to run Steve Elman for president of the United States. <laughs> Steve. Huh? I'm for it. He's I'm, watching. I'm he's... on Team Elman. Let's go. All right. All right. This week... The general, Mad Dog Mattis, gave a speech, and much like he's always been, he didn't hold too much back. And you do have to admit uh, that between me and Merrill, at least we've had some victories. <clears throat> <laughs> and some of you were kind during the reception and asked me, you know, uh, if this bothered me to have been rated this way uh, based on what Donald Trump said. I said, of course not. I'd earned my spurs on the battlefield, Martin, as you pointed out, and Donald Trump earned his spurs in a letter from a doctor. So, <laughs> not in the least bit put out by it. And I think the only person in the military that Mr. Trump doesn't think is overrated is who you pointed out, Martin, and that's Colonel Sanders. Wow. He's never been one to hold much back, and well, he came he, out swinging. Yeah, in his I mean, this is here. though this is the first time he's ever really taken on Donald Trump since he left, and uh, you know, I wonder if choosing to do it with humor, which I love doing things with humor, uh, but I wonder if that might somewhat mitigate a more serious message that Mattis would rather be relaying right well, now. I don't think he's done. Uh, Mad Dog Mattis, as uh, Donald Trump called him during the campaign, he used him excessively to say, I'm going to pick the very best people. Well, he doesn't listen to him. And here's a general that, by Donald Trump's own uh, words, was the greatest general out there, and now he's out trashing him like he does to everybody, like a petulant child. Isn't it interesting, you know, when this administration began, you had General Flynn for a couple mm -hmm. of co cup of coffee, but you had General Mattis, you had General McMaster, you had General Kelly, uh, all gone. No more generals in the in the mix. And Mattis actually left over the president's initial attempt to pull our troops out of Syria. Now we're you back. may recall, and and here we are. Any self-respecting military analyst wouldn't have anything to do with this president after this debacle in Syria. Okay, rapid fire here very quickly. Delmar Loop Trolley needs more money if it's going to keep operating. Uh, St. Louis County Council members not receptive to giving this much money to the trolley service again. They say they need 200 grand by next month to keep afloat. Another $500,000 for next year. St. Louis City also not acting on the project. You're up first on this one, Michael. What a sad situation, right? I mean, $51 million, two-thirds of that invested by the federal government. The question is, is if this is going to fail, the feds do have a clawback provision where they can right. come back in and say, you have to pay back that two-thirds of the money. 
I don't know what the answer to this is, but we need further scrutiny going forward before we embark well, in these types of projects. Maybe, but I don't know of anybody, and I, and I like Joe. I mean, the things he's done in the U City Loop, and I hate to dump this on him, but this one from the get-go, I don't know anybody who said, that's a great idea. Yeah, I know, like the idea. I don't think anybody wanted to pay for you it. You know, Joe's wrong on this one. He's done so much great stuff, and you, but, but he was just wrong about this. And you don't keep pouring money into something that's going to remain insolvent. And, you know, it's, it's a, it would be a mistake to put any more money into this. The RFT said make it a roaming bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's an idea. I mean, I mean you would get people on there at least spending some money or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, or, or well, turn it into a giant planter. Get I mean, drunk on it. You don't think about all the money we wasted. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. It's time for final thoughts right after this on Hancock and Kelly. Well, if you had your audio on through the commercial break, you could have heard the rest of our debate over the loop trolley and what might save. Maybe that'll be next week, okay? Uh, final thoughts. I'll let you go first today. You've been brewing on this. Well, one. sometimes it's fun to watch the perils of your opponents. And uh, you all remember the name Eric Greitens and the disgrace that he put the whole state through? Well, guess what? He's reemerging. It's my understanding Eric Greitens is going to run for governor again in the Republican par uh, primary against Mike Parson. Kudos to you, Governor, from coming out of the basement, untying yourself, and getting back into the race and mucking it up because we've got a Democratic challenger for whoever comes out of that who will be the next governor of the state of Missouri, and that's Nicole Galloway. I've heard a lot of this. I still, I still can't believe it. I'm not Well, not there's a long and persistent rumor that he is going to get back in. I don't think it's going to go well for him, uh, but... Uh, you got your scapegoat. I Kim Gardner's the scapegoat now. Well, yeah. Uh, Kim Gardner was not handling the materials in the basement, <laughs> okay? Uh, I, we'll see what happens. Okay. To, to quote the president. We'll see what happens, <laughs> yeah, right. right? We'll put our very best people on it. All right, hey, thanks for watching Hancock and Kelly. If you missed any part of the show, you can download it right there on your smartphone. Just search out the words Hancock and Kelly, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.